0: So decades ago, a man named Charles Feeney started a chain of businesses, and he became pretty successful. In fact, he became a billionaire. And like billionaires do, Charles Feeney, he bought mansions and he lived in luxury, but he didn't live that way for very long, because one day he got this idea. What if, what if instead of holding on to all this wealth, what if he just just gave it away? What if he just gave all of it away? That's what he decided to do. In fact, he set up an organization whose sole purpose was to give away over 99% of his fortune. And he wanted all of this to take place while he was still alive. So he even set a date that that organization was going to close its doors forever. And they had to give the money away before then. And they did. In total, Charles Feeney gave away over $8 billion dollars to institutes and schools and hospitals, in places like Vietnam and Ireland and the United States. I mean, this man had more wealth than most of us could ever imagine, and he did something with it that few people would ever imagine doing. He just gave it away. Today, Charles Feeney lives in a rented one-bedroom apartment in San Francisco with his wife. Listen to what he said. He said, I can't think of a more personally rewarding and appropriate use of wealth than to give while one is living. Now look, I don't know what's in your bank account, but here's the thing. If Jesus is your Savior, then what you need to realize, believer, is that you have the greatest inheritance and fortune in Jesus Christ one that will never run dry, it will never end, you have an eternity in the presence of God's glory waiting for you after this life. And most Christians would agree that the spiritual riches of our salvation are greater than any amount of wealth that this world could offer. But if we do agree with that truth, we agree with that statement, then we need to ask, are we we sharing that good news of salvation with others? Are we telling other people how they can receive that eternal relationship with the Lord, how they can receive the forgiveness Jesus Christ offers, how they can be saved from the penalty of hell. Are we sharing the gospel? It's easy for us to sit there and say, if I had billions of dollars, sure, I'd give a bunch of it away. I'd be very generous. Well, as Christians, we have the greatest treasure in Jesus Christ. Are we giving away that news to others? Are we sharing the gospel with other people in our lives? This morning, as we continue our Why I Believe sermon series, we are going to be talking about why we believe in evangelism as Christians. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 28. This is a place we've been before in this series. We're going to be in it again later in this series. But Matthew 28, if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there. If you don't have a Bible, I'm going to encourage you, use one of the Bibles under the seat in front of you. If you'd like to use one of those, you can turn to page 811. Page 811, Matthew chapter 28. Now, when we talk about evangelism, what we are talking about is sharing the good news of salvation. Salvation from the bondage of sin and the penalty of hell through faith in Jesus Christ because of his death and his resurrection. Now, last week, if you were with us, we looked at the reality of hell. We saw why we believe that horrible place exists and why it's necessary. That alone should be a great motivator for us as Christians to run out of these doors and share the gospel with people. So why talk about evangelism this morning? It's because, see, I think that many Christians agree that the gospel matters. They agree that people need it. We agree that evangelism is important, but many Christians just think that somebody else needs to do that. That's why today we're really focusing on why each of us has a role in sharing the gospel, believers. I also want to say, before we look at Matthew 28, that I praise God that there are many Christians in this church who are doing Just that, they are sharing the gospel. Just this week, I had a chance to talk to a believer here at our church who has made a habit of handing out gospel tracts to people around them. I also talked to somebody who shared the gospel with several individuals at work during the week. I was able to watch as a couple of our members on Wednesday witnessed to somebody who passed through our campus during that evening. I know that we are a church that believes in evangelism. Just this year, we've seen people give their lives to Jesus Christ through the food pantry ministry, the kids ministry, the youth ministry. On and on those examples go. But although there are some who are doing that, the truth is that all of us need to be doing that, believers. We all need to be sharing the gospel. Let's consider a few reasons why that is the case. Matthew chapter 28, look at verse 18, it says this. you become familiar with this passage yet, believer? And my prayer is that we wouldn't just be familiar with the words of it, but that we would be familiar with the practice of it in our lives. This is called the Great Commission. It's the mission given by Jesus to his followers after Jesus had died on the cross and risen from the grave and before he ascended to heaven. And it begins with making disciples. Bringing people to Jesus so that by putting their faith in him, they too can become his followers. They can become Christians. The first reason that we believe in evangelism, church, is because there's a responsibility that we each have to share the gospel. Jesus commanded us to do it. It's a responsibility we have. But this is where we come to the first and probably most common excuse that Christians have when it comes to sharing the gospel. And it's the excuse that many of them will say, well, I, the gospel is important, and people need to hear it. But that's for other Christians to do. That's for the pastors, the deacons, the missionaries, the evangelists. That's for the church leaders to take care of. Well, here's the thing. If that's true, well, Well, then the disciples that Jesus was talking to, they didn't really understand the Great Commission. Neither did the Christians in the early church. Because what we find in the book of Acts, when the church began, is that many of the Christians participated in sharing the gospel. In fact, the first person to be killed, the first Christian martyr for the gospel in the book of Acts, wasn't one of the apostles. It was a man named Stephen in Acts chapters 6 and 7. Now, Some people would say, yeah, well, Stephen was still prominent in the church, And that's true, so consider what Acts chapter 8 tells us. Acts chapter 8 tells us that when the church was persecuted, it says in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, that all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. So at that time, the apostles were still in Jerusalem, and all the other believers scattered. And listen to what it says in Acts chapter 8, verse 4. It says, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Just... Just these these believers started preaching the gospel everywhere they went. They started sharing it with people. That's how the gospel spread. You see, the believers in the early church didn't simply see themselves as recipients of the gospel, but as bearers of the gospel message. They had a personal responsibility to share it with people. In fact, earlier in his ministry in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus told his disciples that they needed to pray that the Lord, that God, would send more workers into the harvest field. In other words, he didn't tell them that it was all on them to share the gospel. Now it's something for all of God's people to do. But somewhere along the line, the mindset among God's people changed. As the church became established, and we, we built buildings, and we hired staff, and we started programs, we got comfortable in our faith, this idea has crept into the body of believers that the gospel, that's something for, just the pastors will do that. Or the people that we pay to do ministry will do that. It's just for the people with the gift of evangelism, they're the ones that are going to do that. Well, here's the thing I want to let you all know, that on the other side of it, there are, in churches, there are church leaders who say, well, they say Ephesians chapter 4 says that our job is to equip the saints for the work of service. So there are church leaders who say, well, it's the job of the people to share the gospel. And then there are believers We say, no, it's the job of the church leaders. And what's the problem with that? Nobody's sharing the gospel. When we think like that. What we need to understand is that the responsibility to share the gospel isn't unique to a certain group of Christians. It's for all Christians. What is unique to us is the opportunities that we will have to share the gospel. You see, there are some people that you will be able to reach for Jesus that I could never reach for Jesus. There are some people who... Not only do they not care what a pastor or a church leader has to say, there are people who actively reject whatever comes out of the mouth of a church pastor or church leader. But they care what their friend says. Or their neighbor. Or their trusted coworker. And And on the other side of it, there are people that church leaders might be able to reach that you might not be able to. Because there are some people who want to hear from a church leader. The point of this is that When it comes to evangelism, we're all going to have opportunities through our situations and through our relationships to reach others. So that should get us wondering, well, what what would happen if all of us as Christians and all those opportunities we have, what would happen if we took that responsibility to share the gospel seriously? What would happen? What would the church look like if we were all doing that? Think of it like this. Uh, I want to share this fable. There's this old legend. Maybe you've heard it before. This is about when the game of chess was invented. And as the legend goes, when the game of chess was invented, it was presented to a great king. He was so impressed with the game that he offered the man who invented it to pay him whatever he asked for. Well, so the inventor asked uh, to be paid in rice. And as to the amount of rice, he said that they could just start with a single grain of rice on the first square of the chessboard. Then on the next square, it would be two grains of rice, and they would just double it at each successive square until they came to the very end. (laughs) Sounded like a steal to the king, that was a pretty simple thing. Didn't take long for him and his advisors to find out that it was not simple. In fact, by the time they got to the end of the chessboard, the amount was so astronomical, there wasn't enough rice in the whole kingdom to pay him. Because you see, if you go at that rate, doubling like that, by the time you get to that last square, there are 64 squares on a chessboard, you end up with a number over 18 quintillion is the number that you would end up with. looks like that. It's on the screen for you. So if you're like me and you don't normally count that high, uh, it's after trillion is quadrillion and then you would get to quintillion. Let me tell you why I'm sharing this with you. Uh, applying this process of multiplication in evangelism would be when one believer goes out and shares the gospel and leads someone to Jesus Christ. And then both of those Christians each go out and lead another person to faith in Jesus Christ, and so on and and so forth. Now, what would happen if we did that as a church? Now, I didn't do the 18 quintillion math, but I did do some rough math on this. Taking the number of, the average number of believers who are here on a Sunday and the current population of our county, and this is what I found. If If we all went out and led one person to Jesus Christ this year, just this year in the calendar year, and then next year we and those new believers each went out and led one person to Jesus Christ, we will reach the entire population of Sumter County, Florida by the 11th year. And that's if we were the only Christians in Sumter County. Praise God we aren't. See, we need to understand that there is an importance to us multiplying in our faith, sharing the gospel with others. We have a responsibility to do that. Jesus commanded us to do that. That's not the only reason we believe in evangelism. Let's consider another reason. If you're following along, turn to John chapter 4. We're going to be in verse 35. John chapter 4. If you're using those Bibles here in the sanctuary, you can turn to page 863. Page 863, John chapter 4. John chapter 4 might be familiar for some of you here. There's a very famous story in it. Uh, We're going to come on the heels of that story, and that's when Jesus talks to the Samaritan woman at the well. So Jesus talks to this Samaritan woman while he's sitting at the well, and uh, this woman, she's living in sin. She's not saved, and then she has this opportunity to meet the Savior of the world. And as she runs into town to tell her her fellow Samaritans, about her conversation with Jesus, the disciples come to the Lord, they start talking with him, and this is what Jesus said to the disciples in John chapter 4, verse 35. He said, don't you have a saying, it's still four months until the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes, look at the fields. They're ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you've not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Now Jesus is taking this example of sowing and harvesting and applying it to sharing the gospel and people coming to faith. You see, it wasn't long after this conversation that he had with his disciples that the Samaritans were to start coming out from the town. They're going to start talking with Jesus. Many of them would go on to believe that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah, the Savior of the world. And here Jesus was trying to tell the disciples a simple truth. The harvest of unsaved hearts ready for the gospel was all around them. And the same thing is true today. There are people in our own community, in our workplaces, and in our lives Who are searching for truth. Who would be glad to know the God who created them and died to save them. If only someone would come and tell them about him. Jesus said, open your eyes and look. The lost are all around us. You see, there's this other excuse that I have heard a surprising number of Christians say to me when it comes to sharing the gospel. I'm often surprised when believers say, well I don't know any." lost people. I don't know any unsaved people. And listen, believer, if you can honestly say that every family member and friend and neighbor and co-worker that you have is a professing believer, then praise God. Let me tell you where you can find some lost people. Some people who don't know the Lord. Uh, They're at the grocery store that you go to. They're at the restaurant that you might be going to after the service today. They're at your gym. They're at your favorite coffee shop. They're at many of the ministries and events that we put on here as a church. See, what I want to get at is, look, not only is there a responsibility that we each have, but the second reason we believe in evangelism is because there's a reality that we must face. There are lost people in our lives. That's the reality. But like the disciples, we just we need to open our eyes so we can see them all around us. The lost were all around them. They're all around us. I mentioned earlier that in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus told his disciples to, to pray for more workers in the harvest. The issue isn't a lack of people to share the gospel with. The issue is a lack of people sharing the gospel. See, one of the problems that we have at times is that we get in this mindset that it's only the drug dealer or the criminal or the atheist who needs to hear the message, and they do. But we live in a country where there are plenty of good people who have a general belief about God, but they're not saved. And sometimes as Christians we fall into this trap where if we meet someone who talks and they tell us that they pray or they think highly of God or the scriptures or they say something positive about Jesus, we just assume that that must mean that they're a Christian. But is that always true? No. This past week I was talking to an individual who started asking me questions about seminaries and church and things like that. He started talking to me about the names of these different Christian authors and theologians and apologists. He spoke highly of the Bible. He's clearly very well read. I started to think to myself, this guy must be a brother in the Lord. But as we continued talking, I learned four four things that were true for him. The first is that he believed that God exists. It's a good place to start. Second, he believes that the historical evidence is overwhelming that Jesus Christ existed in history. He's right about that. Third, he believes that the evidence is very clear that the only logical conclusion for the empty tomb is that Jesus did rise from the dead. Also true. But fourth, he had never considered why these truths should result in him giving his life to Jesus Christ. He had a lot of head knowledge, but he didn't have salvation. We talked about the gospel, and Lord willing, soon it will go from knowledge in his head to truth in his heart. See, unless someone intentionally puts their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they're not saved until they do that. So until we know that someone has done that, let's always be ready to share the gospel. Let me give you another example. Let's turn to Acts chapter 19. Following along. Again, if you're using one of those Bibles here in the sanctuary, you can turn to page 901. Page 901, Acts chapter 19. Verse 1, we find this. It says, while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples. And he asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, No. We've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked them, well, Then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. And there were about twelve men in all. This is why I wanted you to see this example. Paul's traveling, and he meets this group of very devout men. But Paul knew that even though they could talk well spiritually, that didn't necessarily mean that they were saved, so he decided to investigate a little further. And he asked if they had received the Holy Spirit. Now, if you were here, we recently studied through the book of Romans. And Romans chapter 8 is very clear that every follower of Jesus, every Christian has the Holy Spirit living within them. So Paul asked this to these individuals, and when they said, hmm, who? What's the the holy who? That was Paul's answer. He understood. These weren't disciples of Jesus, they were disciples of John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist was a prophet. He was a great man. Jesus himself said so. But John's whole goal was to point people to the Messiah, to Jesus Christ. So Paul told the gospel truth to them. The truth that Jesus is, as John said, Jesus is the Lamb of God. came to take away the sins of the world. That through the death and resurrection of Jesus, and through faith in him, there's forgiveness of sin, there's eternal life. Now, we know that these men believed in the truth of the gospel because they followed through in believer's baptism. All right? And then they, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, which was confirmed for them, as was common in the early church, through these outward spiritual gifts. But what's the whole point of looking at this story? John, the Baptist's disciples, they were surely good people, just like there are good people in our lives. Okay? But these good people, they hadn't heard the good news. And there are good people in our lives who don't know who Jesus is or why he came. Just like there are bad people in our lives who don't know who Jesus is or why he came. There are people in our lives who might even know the answers to these things. They've never given their life to Jesus Christ. And you want to know what all these people share in common? They need someone who knows Jesus and who knows the gospel to come and share these things. They need you, believer. They need you to share the truth with them. See, the reality is we all have lost people in our lives. And we need to reach them. Sadly, like many things in our lives, we push it off. We make excuses. We console ourselves with the thought that, yeah, I'll share the gospel someday. Someday I'll do that. But not today. But believer, we don't know how many days we have left. We don't know how many days that lost person has left. The Bible says in Psalm 39 that life is fleeting. Listen now, James chapter 4 puts it. James 4, verse 14 says, why, you don't even know what'll happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Life is short. See, the third reason we believe in evangelism is because there's an urgency that we must have. Time is short. We need to have an urgency about it. We need to act with a sense of urgency in sharing it. Now, when I say that, I'm not saying that we pressure people into accepting the message. I'm not saying we force the message of the gospel down their throats. No. Now, when we share the gospel, we share it in humility. We share it in love because it's the message of God's great love for them. And We need to recognize that some people... They're going to hear the message several times before they accept it, but we must actively share it, because we don't know how much time people have left. There's a story, I shared this a couple years ago, but I think it bears repeating this morning. There's a a story of a Baptist missionary who went up to the Amazon River to reach some of the people who lived along it, and she came across a group of kids. So she gathered them together, and she started sharing with them stories from the Bible. And and as she shared with them, an old man from one of the tribes came by, and he stopped to listen. And she went on, as she began to conclude, to share with the kids about what Jesus did as he died on the cross, he was buried, and he rose from the dead. How if we put our faith in him, we can be forgiven of sin, we can be given eternal life. Well, as the lesson ended and all the kids ran off, that old man came up to the missionary and he asked if everything that she taught was true. She said, Yeah, absolutely it is. And the old man said, You know, this is the first time that I've ever heard someone say that eternal life comes through faith in Jesus. But this can't be true, or else someone would have come and told us sooner. He said, my grandparents, my parents, they lived into their old age and died without ever hearing this message. He said, this can't be true. Someone would have come sooner. Despite her best efforts to persuade the man, he walked off saying that over and over to himself. It can't be true. Someone would have come sooner. See, the fields are ripe for harvest believers, but time is short, and we have the riches of the gospel to share with people. What are we waiting for? Let's remember, let's remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. Jesus said, Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate. Narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. Christians, we should rejoice that we are on that narrow road that leads to eternal life. But while we do that, while we rejoice, we should reach out desperately to those who are on that broad road with the good news that they too can enter into the riches of God's salvation with us. Church, we believe in evangelism first and foremost because we have a responsibility to share the gospel. Jesus commanded us to do it. We believe in it. Because the reality is there's lost people all around us. And we believe in it because time is short. There's an urgency we should have about sharing this message. Don't put it off. We can't push this one off. See, the truth this morning I want us to understand is this. We need to give the good news of the gospel away. Because there's no other message by which people can be saved. There there isn't another truth people need to hear. It's going to result in their salvation. They need to hear the gospel. So we need to give the good news of the gospel away. You now you have that message if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. The question is, who in your life needs to hear it? And I want to give you, believers, three practical ways you can begin to do that. Because maybe you're thinking to yourself, well, okay, I'm on board, I want to share, but, and I even have people in mind, but I don't know how. So I'm going to give you three uh, practical ways you can do that. I'm going to challenge you, believers, to pick at least one of these things to start with. The first one is this. You can invite people to church where they will hear the gospel and Lord willing, where they will see Christ-like love among believers. That's one thing that you could do. Uh, Now understand, when I say this, I'm not talking about inviting people to church who already have a home church. I'm talking about inviting the unsaved and the unchurched. Uh, A study was done a few years ago And they polled some of those who were unchurched didn't attend a church home. And 51%, so over half, of the unchurched people polled said that if someone were to personally invite them to church, they would go. If only someone would ask them. There was once a businessman who was going to church and on his way as he approached the building he saw a stranger standing nearby. So he decided to invite him inside for for prayer meeting. And the man went with him. And that was the start for that stranger and his whole family. They ended up giving their lives to Christ, became a part of the church. And he later told the businessman, he said, you know, I was living here for seven years before I met you. He said it didn't take but three days of living here for the grocer, the dairyman, the insurance man, the politician to call on me. But he said it was seven years before anybody invited me to church. Seven years, probably surrounded by Christians. Let's make sure we, we do better than that, church. So we're reaching out to the people in our community. Now, we want to make this easy on you, by the way. I understand. You're not always thinking to yourself, what is the church address? Different things like that. We want to make it easy on you to invite people to church, so we want you to know if you ever want to do that, you don't have to remember the service times or the address or anything like that. Something that we always have in the foyer for you to use are simple little invo- uh, invite cards. They're the size of a business card. They're this big. All right? There's a couple different kinds that we have back there. We keep these in the foyer, in the table. Take some with you. Put them in your wallet, in your purse. Put them in your car. In fact, one of them even has a spot that you can write your name, put a personal touch on it, so that that person knows someone by name when they go there, and you can greet them when they come in the door. It's a simple thing to invite people, and many people are just waiting to be invited to church. Second, you can use gospel tracts. The gospel tracts, these are simple booklets that communicate the core truths of the gospel. We also keep a number of these in the foyer every single week, but I was sure to put out a whole bunch of extra ones out there so that you're not worried about taking the last one. Take a bunch of them. When you go, again, keep them in your car. Keep them in your purse. Keep them with you. All right? These, these are a good thing to communicate the gospel. My encouragement to you is uh, use them appropriately. You know? Don't, don't put them in places where it's just going to result in litter being all over the place. Don't do that thing where you do it instead of giving a tip at a restaurant, okay? As many believers have done. Don't do that. If you're going to put it with a tip, you put it with a nice tip, Okay? But if you hand it to somebody, let them know, hey, look, I, I just want to give this to you because this tells you how much God loves you. Look, I was hoping you'd read this because this tells you how you, you can be sure that you're going to go to heaven one day. For someone you know, you can say, look, I just wanted to hand this to you. These are the things that I really believe and I hope you'd be willing to read this. All right, gospel tract a very easy thing to use. And then finally, the third encouragement, believers, is to know the core truths of the gospel. Know the things that you need to share. I meet a lot of believers who say, "Well, when I get in that situation, I don't know what to share." Here's the thing. Um, some people, they don't want to read a track. So if you give it to them, they, just, they don't want to read. Or some people might not live nearby to be invited to church. So we always need to be prepared to share with them the reason for the hope that we have. That's what Scripture says. So it's good for you to know what are the core truths of the gospel? We're going to go over these for a minute. I'm going to encourage you to jot this down. This week, take five minutes a day. Take five minutes a day and just go through these things out loud to yourself, to your spouse, to a friend. As you do this, it will become second nature to you. It will be very easy to bring these truths into a conversation. See, what people need to understand, the core truths of the gospel, first they need to understand that there is a problem, and the problem is sin. Romans 3.23 says that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. People need to know that they're sinners. We all are. Most people will be on board at this point. Most people know that they've done bad things. But you see, most people don't think that's a big deal. So then they need to know why sin is a problem. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. That's not just talking about physical death. It's talking about the fact that our sin deserves an eternal death in a place called hell. That's bad news. But people got to understand the bad news before they can understand the good news. So once they understand that there's a problem, once they understand why it's a problem, then you can tell them that there's a solution. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, there's eternal life in Jesus. So they need to know why Jesus is a solution. Well, Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Then need to understand, Jesus died on the cross to take the punishment for our sins. He was our substitute. took all the wrath that we deserve. We can tell him the greatness that Jesus didn't stay in the grave. Oh, he's the savior of the world. He rose powerfully from the dead three days later. Jesus is the solution because he was our substitute. And then they need to know how to receive that salvation. And Romans 10.9 makes it very clear. Friend, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Believers, these are the core truths that we need to share with people. Okay? So take a few minutes a day. Say these things out loud to yourself. There's some bookmarks on the table in the foyer as you go out. that has the Romans Road. These are these passages. So that you can just glance at it every day. So you can make these truths familiar to you so that it's easy for you to make those truths familiar to other people. Church, evangelism does matter. And we will be most effective as a church sharing the good news of the gospel if we all do it. If we all do it. So let's encourage one another to do that. Let's lift each other up as we share the gospel. Let's pray for one another. And as we prepare to close, I'm going to encourage you, if you're here and Jesus Christ is your Savior, to praise Him for your salvation. I'm going to encourage you to pray for the lost people that are in your life. Ask the Lord to give you an opportunity to share with them. Ask Him to give you a burden to share with others. If you're sitting here thinking to yourself, I still can't think of any lost people, ask the Lord to reveal them to you. He'll bring people to your mind. And if you are here and Jesus Christ is not your Savior, friend, please understand that there's no other way that you can get to heaven except through faith in Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter how much money you make or how much money you give away. It doesn't matter how many times you go to church or how often you pray, how many good works that you can accomplish. None of these things can earn your way to God. Jesus said in John chapter 14, he said, I am the way. The truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus paid the sacrifice for our sin so that we could be forgiven. He rose powerfully from the dead and stands in heaven right now, waiting to forgive you of all your sin, to give you eternal life, save you from the penalty of hell. The question is will you give your life to Jesus? Are you willing to come before him and admit, Jesus, I am a sinner? And repent of that sin and ask him for his forgiveness and give your life to him. If you're ready to do that, we want to give you the chance to do that now. Would you bow your heads? Let's pray together. Friend, if that's where you're at, if you, if you know that Jesus isn't your Savior, you've never made that decision, you've never given him your life, you've never repented of your sin, friend, if that's where you are at, please don't leave that way. Jesus already paid the penalty for you. He's been drawing you to himself your whole life. If you haven't seen it before, then realize he's doing it right now because you're here. And he wants to forgive you. He knows the things that you've done. He wants to forgive you of those things. He wants to save you from the penalty of hell. He wants to give you eternal life. He wants you to be a part of his family. And if you're ready to give your life to him, you can go to Jesus. You can follow me in a simple prayer like this. Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And Jesus, I know that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that you didn't stay in the grave, but you rose from the dead. Jesus, I'm asking you to forgive me of my sin and to be my Savior. Jesus, I'm giving you my life today because I know you can do more with it than I can. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that if there's anybody who made that decision this morning, that they be sure to share it with someone before they leave. Is there a room filled with people who would love to rejoice with them? I pray that if there's anyone here who's made that decision, but hasn't followed through in baptism, like the three examples we had this morning, Would you lay that on the hearts of those believers? And for all of us who have given our lives to Jesus Christ, help help us to understand that we have the greatest news to share with people. Open our eyes to the lost people who are all around us, Father. Give us a burden for the gospel. Help us to stop making excuses. Stop kicking the can down the road. Stop saying maybe one day we'll do that. Help us to eagerly look for those opportunities. We can share the gospel with people. We can tell them the good news. That Jesus loves them. He wants to save them. Now I pray that you you would give us bold hearts to do that. And that you would help us as a church to be a church that rejoices every time someone gives their life to Jesus Christ. Because if heaven breaks out with rejoicing, as your word says, then so should your church. Let that be true of us. Father, we love you. But the gospel reminds us that you love us more. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.